You're listening to the Word of Life AG Podcast. This is the message from this week's service. If you want to view the full service, including worship, please head to our website at wordoflifeag.org. While there, you can also see what's coming up at the church, or even check out some next steps. All right, let's dive into this week's message. Good morning, Word of Life. It's great to be able to come and be with you. Um, I'm ready to get into this today. I really am. Uh, the missionary couple that we had on the video a moment ago, they're old friends of ours, um, Andrew and Danielle. They um, have been friends of ours for uh, 15 years plus, and so that means that they know some embarrassing things about me, um, but it's nothing compared to the dirt they have on Megan. <laughs> Moving on. So this is, um, please don't clap that. I'm going to hear about it, but this series is uh, somewhat unusual. Um, we do this once a year in September. We get the church together and we sort of present, Megan and I, uh, the mission, vision, and the culture of the church. Specifically, um, what we really believe is um, going to be important for us and a priority for us over the next 12 months. And so we started this last week, and um, I'm pleased with how it got started. The response I've had from people seems that it really resonated with everybody that um, what we're going to be talking about and kind of the filter that we're going to be looking through over the next 12 months at least is going to be this whole theme and this whole idea of continuing what Jesus started. We're not looking to reinvent the wheel. We're not looking to um, innovate church. We're looking to go back to what is it that Jesus began? What was it that he started? And then in turn, how can we continue what he started 2,000 years ago? What did he launch? What did he get in motion? What did he start? And how can we continue? And we're going to be continuing that um, specifically the series over the next few weeks. I want to read to you again the verse that we read last week that was kind of the anchor verse that we spent a lot of time looking at from the book of Colossians. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. One of the main points we looked at last week, which is helpful for us to have in the back of our mind for today, is that Jesus started a movement, and it was a movement with a message. Jesus started a movement with different values. It was a movement of compassion, and it was a movement of eternal hope. There was a, a great video um, that we showed as part of, the, um, part of the message, and the video was a story from some of the teens as part of the youth ministry here that made a decision on Wednesday night after watching Jesus Revolution, I think it was midnight, in the backyard of Pastor Annie's house. They got water baptized, and the story was so gripping. I'm pleased that we were able to share that with the church, that this is what we're talking about. We talk about continuing what Jesus started lives being changed, people meeting a Savior, people who recognize that the way that their life is going, the way that they're moving through life, the kind of life they're building for themselves is not the life that they want, but instead they come to the point of knowing there's a Savior who loves me, there's a Savior who cares about me, there's a God in heaven that thinks I'm so worthwhile that He would send His Son to pay a price so I could live in a restored relationship with God. That was last week in a nutshell. But what I want to continue today and uh, what's going to, I think, be helpful as we continue this theme and we, as we you know, look at this idea of continuing what Jesus started is we want to revisit the core values that we have here as the church. And if you've been a part of um, LifePath or if you've been to our website, you'll see that Word of Life has a list of 10 things that articulate the core values of our church. Now, this list of 10 is um, a strong list. I agree with all 10 of them, but it's a long list. It's not necessarily easy to memorize, and consequently, we don't talk about them very much. Um, they're really something that we mention in a sermon or during meetings. And so having stated core values, it helps us define and articulate the priorities, and it keeps us focused. 
As a church, we have a number of different things that we could spend time on and an infinite number of things we could emphasize. But communicating a, a set of values, it helps us remember who we are, how we conduct ourselves, what our mission is, and how we're going to fulfill that mission. But if we're not talking about them because there's too many and it's difficult to remember, it's worth addressing that and rethinking the role of these core values. So Megan and I, we got back to the drawing board and worked with the elders to bring a refreshed set of core values. We've thought and prayed a lot about this. We've given it careful consideration. And we truly believe that these new, new core values we're going to bring to you today, it maintains the heart and the spirit of what we have currently, um, meanwhile it adds simplicity and being more concise. The mission statement of our church, which has been in place for 25 years and isn't changing, is that we are leading individuals to become faithful and effective followers of Jesus. The renewed and updated core values give us a how we're going to fulfill this mission. That statement of leading individuals to become faithful and effective followers of Jesus, our hope and prayer and even our expectation is that if we adopt these core values church-wide and we practice them consistently, we will see this statement come to pass over and over again in the lives of individuals. So the new core values that we're bringing to Word of Life is firstly, we're going to embrace the essentials. We're going to commit to stretch. We're going to build the community and we're going to live on mission. Our core values is to embrace the essentials, commit to stretch, build the community and live on mission. You'll notice that all four of these are action-orientated. We are talking about embrace, commit, build, live. Much of the communication in church is concerned with correct understanding and learning to think through a biblical perspective and changing one's perspective and attitude to match the heart of God. But these refreshed core values hopefully give some movement and application to much of the theory that we discuss. The hope is that if we embody these values, we will see our mission accomplished. In summary... Our mission is to lead individuals to become faithful and effective followers of Jesus. We will fulfill our mission both together as a church and individually beyond Sunday when we embrace the essentials, when we commit to stretch, when we build the community, and when we live on mission. So for the next four weeks, we're going to consider um, our core values in the light of continuing what Jesus started and to ensure that we're moving forward and faithfully fulfilling the mission and assignment that God has for this church, we won't find guidance and inspiration by speculating about what's ahead or chasing a new fad or obsessing on social media to find the new trendy thing, but rather to faithfully fulfill our call and our responsibility. We believe the answer is to look back and truly understand and continue what Jesus started. So today, we're going to look at what it means to embrace the essentials. A key verse that we're going to look at is from the book of Revelation. And John the Apostle is told by Jesus to write letters to seven different churches to offer them correction and encouragement. And Jesus is dictating to John, and John is writing down whatever Jesus is telling him. And this is a portion of Jesus' words to the church in the city of Ephesus. Revelation 2.2, I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. And so far, we're off to a good start. We're talking about this church working hard and having a patient endurance and not tolerating evil, carefully weighing up the teaching of different preachers and uncovering lies and patiently suffering, refusing to quit. These are positives. It feels like the church has an attaboy coming. Then verse 4, but I have this complaint against you. 
despite all of the good things that you're doing, despite all these qualities that Jesus points out, there's something else that needs addressing. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Jesus is addressing the church and telling them that in spite of all the good stuff they are doing, there's something foundational and basic, and I would say essential, that is being neglected. And all the good stuff doesn't change the importance of having the essentials and basics thriving within the church. The command from Jesus is to reinstate this basic and essential behavior back into the church to love me and each other like you did at first. There's even a consequence of failing to uphold this. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches, is what Jesus says. And what is the significance of the lampstand? Much of the book of Revelation is allegorical or poetic. It uses images and metaphor to communicate its message. So what does the lampstand represent? It appears that each church has a lampstand, and the lampstand represents the presence of God, His dwelling, His activity. The Old Testament tabernacle and temple had lampstands, and it looks like we're expected to have that in mind as we read Revelation. In essence, God's lampstand is what separates the church from any other social gathering. It's God's illumination. It's His light that sets the church apart from any other gathering. And the tough truth from Jesus is that if the church doesn't get back to a deep and passionate love for Him and a sincere and honest love for each other, then the lampstand, His blessing, His presence, His empowerment, His anointing will depart. Despite a long list of good things the church is doing, these basic essentials that were strong within the church in the past need to come back. And this was written 2,000 years ago and has continued to be a challenge for churches that whole time to love God and love people. Otherwise, we're just another social gathering. So for today, Word of Life core values, number one, Embrace the essentials. Embrace the essentials. In our desire to respond properly to Jesus' correction from Revelation, we want to embrace the essentials. And so what are the essentials? Well, I want to put to you the four essentials. The Bible, worship, prayer, and fellowship. Now, why these four? Perhaps there are other things that appear to be extremely important. So why these four out of anything else? Well, at the time of Jesus, the Jewish synagogues would meet every Sabbath, and the time together would have a time of worship. Typically, they would be singing a psalm together. There'd be a time to pray, teaching from the Bible, and then the opportunity to fellowship and spend time together. After Jesus' resurrection and the birth of the church, the earliest Jewish followers of Jesus would echo what they had grown up with by going to synagogue. Church services would sing songs of worship about Jesus. They would take time to pray there would be a teaching from the Bible, and then fellowship and community building. If you go to any church anywhere in the world 2,000 years later, that's what you would expect a church gathering to consist of, a time of worship, an opportunity to pray, teaching from the Bible, and fellowship. If you went to visit a church and this wasn't happening, you would be surprised. It's important that we trust that these essentials are not only for a large church gathering, but also for our personal lives. These same four essentials that we should embrace as a church are the same four essentials that comprise our Sunday morning service. They are just as essential to us as individual believers as they are to us as a collective group. The illustration I kind of thought of around this um, is that if you can imagine going to a, a community planning meeting 
and all the decisions that were being made around the neighborhood. You know, the things that were coming up, things that pertain to your street or your development or whatever you know, subsection you live in, whatever it is, but there was a community meeting. Like, that's us, that's church. It's that communal feeling. This is for everyone. This is the direction we are moving in. This is the challenge for all of us. But your personal time, that's for your house. It doesn't mean that what's going on with the community doesn't matter. It's just you also need attention for what's going on in your house. Perhaps another illustration is that um, if ever you played sports, you'll have time where the coach will give instruction and direction to the whole team. But then he'll sort of grab you to one side and say, okay, this is how you're going to fulfill that role. That's the idea of church is there is this togetherness and hopefully as we gather together as believers, there's ways that we're being challenged as a corporate group. There are ways that we're being inspired and encouraged to live out our faith together. But then there's also the importance of getting by ourselves and saying, okay, but what about me and my house? What about me and my house? And that's what we're talking about. We talk about these four essentials. It's not only good for us as a collective group, of course it is, but it's also just as essential for us as an individual. As we consider these four essentials, I want us to focus today on the importance they play in our personal lives and how we're individually building a life of faith. Now, it may be obvious, but there's no way to do a deep dive into all four of these essentials, so we'll cover what we can, and hopefully there's something here that's helpful. But the first thing, the Bible is essential. The Bible is essential. There's a verse from Matthew 22. I love this passage. I think it speaks so much to us. Matthew 22, 35, one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him, torn by trapping Jesus, with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now, the biblical scholars will tell us that this question is something that was often put towards the, um, the teachers of the day, especially the well-respected teachers of the day, and it was almost like a little competition. It's like, you know, you would say to each other, it's like, okay, will you tell us out of all the scriptures, out of all what we would call today the Old Testament, which part of it is the most important? And then that would then spark conversation and debate. And it was a way of teachers to kind of be able to sort of show how awesome they were. So they're trying to trap Jesus with this, and hopefully he's going to fall over himself. And what Jesus says is, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Now, this passage is often summarized as love God and love people. As Jesus is asked to give the essence of the whole Bible, he says you can hang the law and the prophets on love God and love people. Now, the idea of you can hang it on there, it speaks to, um, you know, that this thought, that you love God, love people, that is strong enough that it can carry the weight of the whole Bible. To love God, love people, it's strong enough to carry the weight of the law and the prophets. There's a strong reminder that the Bible is primarily teaching us why we love God and how to love people. This statement from Jesus echoes what we read earlier in Revelation 2. I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Love God and love people. I'm reading a book right now called Multiply by Francis Chan. And there's a great quote from this uh, that I thought would be helpful to share. When we talk about the Bible, we sometimes use profound language without considering what we're really saying. Perhaps the strongest thing we can say about the Bible is that it is the Word of God. But have you ever thought about what that means? That concept should blow our minds. When we talk about the Bible, we're actually talking about something that the all-powerful, all-knowing, transcendent God decided to write to us. What could be more important? Think of how you would respond to hearing a voice from heaven speaking directly to you we should approach the Bible with the same reverence. 
If we really believe that the Bible is the Word of God, then it should be much more than a book that we are familiar with. It ought to shape every aspect of our existence. It should guide the decisions we make in life. If God is the designer and creator of this world, if he made us and placed us on the earth, and if he has taken the time to tell us who he is, who we are, and how this world operates, then what could be more important to us than the Bible? Second thing, worship is essential. In January, we spent five weeks talking about worship as a sermon series. The temptation is to think of worship as songs or singing, but at its heart, I believe worship is something that's happening within us and is expressed outwardly in different ways. Singing worship songs is the most common way that the internal worship is expressed outwardly, but I pulled up my notes from uh, the message I shared on January 8th this year, and what I said back in January 8th is that worship is the right response. It's the right response to how majestic God is and how wonderful He is and how perfect He is. The right response is worship. Worship affirms the proper order, the order of God. You are above. You are high. You, I am submitted to you. My life is yours. Your way, as we sang today, is better than anything I could come up with. The proper order of things is your God, me people. You, Lord, me servant. It also recenters our soul. I don't know about you, but life has a way of kicking you down. Life has a way of beating you up. Worship refreshes the soul. It recenters our soul. And then worship corrects our perspective. Life also has a way of getting us to thinking correctly about things and buy different, you know, and pick up different values that the world may have. But worship, it just corrects our perspective. How we think about life, how we think about God. I did a quick search this week, and the words praise or worship are in the Bible hundreds and hundreds of times. It's truly a consistent theme throughout the Scriptures. But here's a verse that stood out to me this week from Psalm 63. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. The third thing, prayer is essential. Prayer is essential. An underrated part of prayer is declaring God's wonder and majesty. Similar to things we may have discussed in worship a moment ago, but declaring God's goodness and splendor in times of prayer is powerful and important. Prayer will also include us bringing our cares and concerns to the Lord. It's overly simple to think of prayer as asking for something, but I do believe, and I have seen, that prayer changes situations. Prayer makes a difference, but prayer also changes the person praying. Spending time praying about a concern not only invites God into whatever it is that's on our mind, but it also provokes a change within us. Prayer means our hearts change, our perspective grows, our understanding shifts. We might pray about things that are causing us deep concern and worry. That time in prayer, it invites God in. It makes a difference. It opens up the opportunity for a miracle, but all while we're praying in the middle of desperation and hurt, transformation happens within us. While we're crying out for breakthrough, and a change in what we may see around us. We're learning something invaluable about love. In the middle of pain, we're growing in our appreciation of grace. A silly example I have of this is, I was working in a job a number of years ago. This is back in England. It was a long time ago now. But I just worked with someone that was annoying. Now, I know no one here works with anyone that's annoying. Especially anyone on the church staff. But I got some great... I got some great advice with this annoying coworker. Someone just said, just pray for them. Not pray for the situation to change, but pray for them. 
Pray for their well-being. Pray for their life. Pray for how they're going through life. I took them seriously. I took them seriously and started to pray for that person. And I found that while the situation it did improve, the biggest transformation was within me. I started to care about the person who was annoying at work. As I prayed for them, I sincerely wanted God's best for them. When Jesus said to pray for your enemies, the stakes were much higher than an annoying person at work. When Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount, it was taught to people who were brutally mistreated by the Romans. This was taught to people when persecution against the Christians meant violence and prison. Even though my situation was pale in comparison, my understanding of what Jesus taught grew. When praying, don't just be worried about talking, but also pause and listen. Wait for insight. Wait to see if your assumption is corrected. Praying isn't just about filling empty airtime, but it's also about waiting upon the Lord and expecting Him to speak. Maybe a Bible verse will come to memory. Maybe a, a gut check will come that you just can't shake. Maybe you'll get a word just drop in your mind. But it's helpful for us to remember that Jesus taught us to pray. He taught His followers to bring their cares and concerns to Him in prayer. The most well-known example is, of course, when Jesus taught the followers to pray the Lord's Prayer. Pray like this, Our Father in heaven, may Your name be kept holy. May Your kingdom come soon. May Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Jesus tells us to pray. He tells us to bring our request to God in prayer, to pray with thanksgiving, to pray with boldness, to pray with open ears. And we should pray with expectancy because He told us to. It's kind of like um, if ever you offer to help your kids with something. When you offer to help your kids with something, it's like, hey, let me know if you need help. You're expecting them to come and say, hey, I need help. And when they say, hey, I need help, you're going to go and help them. Jesus has said, come to me in prayer. So we don't have any reason to go with timidity. We have reason to go with boldness. You told me to come to you in prayer, so here I am coming to you in prayer. We should do so with expectancy and boldness. Fourth thing, fellowship is essential. Uh, just yesterday, Esther, my daughter, she's nine years old. She's going to be 10 in a few weeks. But she came to me and said, Dad, are you preaching in church tomorrow? I said, yes, I am. He said, what are you speaking on? So I said, well, I'm talking about the four essentials. She said, what are the four essentials? I said, I'm going to be talking about the importance of the Bible, worship, prayer, and fellowship. And she said to me, I promise this is true. She said, Dad, you lost me at fellowship. <laughs> so I had to explain to Esther what fellowship is. And the best way I could explain it to a nine-year-old is friends at church. Very overly simple, but that, that's what I said to Esther. Friends at church. Megan and I, over the past year, we've been to a notable number of um, social gatherings um, outside of a church environment. And one thing has stood out to me, um, I think it's probably because it's been on my mind, but it really has stood out to me, is that it, it's not always a friendly place to walk into. We've been to kids' birthday parties, and we didn't really know any of the parents, and, you know, the kids go off, and they know each other, and they're having a good old time, and we're just kind of there, just like there's a bunch of other parents, and nobody's pulling up a seat to make room at the table for you to come and hang out, and no one's kind of including you in conversations, and no one's kind of asking about you, and things like that, and we've had a, a number of different functions where we've been to like this, where it stood out, is like, you know what, this is not a friendly, warm, welcoming environment to be in. And we possibly spend so much time around, you know, church things and church events where this is hopefully the normative is that people are included, that it really stood out to me as, you know, so much of social gatherings aren't as welcoming as they could be. At church, we should be different. At church, we should be a part of the community of faith. We should go out of our way to meet people. If you're here and this is your church, 
Someone should know your name. Someone, someone should miss you if you're not here for a few weeks. There should be people you look forward to seeing when you come to church. Take the first step. Introduce yourself to someone. Join a group, even if you're unsure if you're going to like it. When there's an invitation to something on the screen or on social media, don't assume it's for someone else. We're going to unpack this even more when we discuss building the community in a few weeks, but I have to tell you that fellowship is not a tag-on to church. Getting here early and sticking around for a while is not a thoughtless bonus option. It's a key part of church. My friends, be bold. Make the first move. Initiate conversation. Meet someone you've never met. If you've forgotten someone's name, ask them to remind you. If someone's forgotten your name, show them grace. I hope and pray that everyone that calls Word of Life home believes me when I say that fellowship is not a mindless afterthought. It's an essential part of living a strong life of faith. Back to Revelation 2. In Revelation 2, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other. Or each other. This speaks directly to the fellowship that we're talking about. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. If you don't care about each other, this is not a true community built on Jesus. We're just like those social functions that Megan and I went to where we feel like an outsider. Those four essentials, again, the Bible, worship, prayer, and fellowship. And we've talked about the need to embrace the essentials. And why do we focus on the word embrace? Well, to embrace is to hold something close with love. It's a way of showing care and affection. All three of my kids know that hugs with dad is the highlight of my day. Whenever I meet my parents at the airport when they come to visit the States, of course, the first thing we do is hug and embrace. This stands in perfect contrast to fulfilling these essentials out of religious, self-righteous sense of duty. To embrace these behaviors as moments that are treasured and meaningful and helpful and joyful is very different than reluctantly checking the box. To embrace speaks to motive. It asks us to consider the heart behind it. If our motive is a sense of religious duty, then if no one is checking up on us, why would we take the time and effort to do these things? If our motive was to stop God being mad at us, then I assume we would figure out what a minimum requirement would be and then be content with that. But to embrace is different. There's joy. There's a willingness. The essentials become things we look forward to. To embrace means that we're upholding these essentials with grace, not out of obligation. For many of us, I'm going to assume that in principle, you may agree with what I'm saying. So why is it difficult? As I'm saying these things, I know that for, I'm going to say almost everyone here, I don't want to include everyone, but I'm going to say almost everyone at least, this can be difficult. To try and sort of uncover that, I put together a Google form this week, and on my social media, I just said, hey, here's a questionnaire. It'd be great if you'd fill it out, and I was just inviting people to put their responses about why these four things may not be as easy as it may sound, and what's struggling, why is it a hindrance, why is it difficult? And these are some of the responses that I got. Why can embracing the essentials be difficult? This is um, anonymous, so I have no idea who wrote this, but this is from uh, people on my social media account. Often I jump right into the day before reading the Bible. Distractions, mostly from my phone. If a prayer appears to go unanswered for a long time, it can be disheartening. Not making personal time a priority. Making friends at church can be difficult because of feeling like an outsider and self-consciousness in general. Thinking of oneself as not good enough or godly enough or put together enough. Focusing on the wrong thing. Not knowing where to start. 
I'm distracted from what matters most by what seems to matter right now. I claim I'm busy, but yet I spend hours scrolling social media. I find I'm easily distracted when I try to pray. Then I feel bad that I'm not doing it correctly. Then I just stop trying. Sometimes I'm so tapped out from being on all week that just getting to church feels like a major accomplishment, but the idea of putting myself out there to someone new feels exhausting. I don't want to worry about whether they'll accept me or not. I don't like admitting these things, but they're true for me. We are often under the impression that prayer has to be big, impressive, and formulated instead of small, simple, and relational. Now, I'm sure there's responses there that we can all identify with. So then, how can we get started? How can we get going? If it feels that it's so difficult, and I believe that it does for so many of us, how can we get started? So with the Bible, the best thing I can say about the Bible reading is to make it a frequent habit. Daily Bible reading is old-fashioned, and it's very easy to dismiss old-fashioned things. I would suggest that daily Bible reading may be old-fashioned, but it's also tried and tested. Starting to read the Bible every day is truly life-changing. Now, to help with this... <clears throat> to help with this, um, I put these cards together this week, and so we have enough for everyone. As you leave church today, they'll be available for you to take home, but it's very simple on the card. It's got on the back 40 chapters out of the Bible. I've kind of made a list, and the idea is that if you've never read the Bible before, or perhaps you have, but it's not a daily practice, and you want to kind of get a jump start on things, if you were to spend 40 days doing one chapter a day, I believe these chapters are going to speak to you. I deliberately sort of went through and picked chapters that I think very clearly communicate some good truth that you need to get in your life. These are verses that I think will very straightforwardly minister to you. So please take one of these, and if you're not in the habit of reading the Bible every day, today's a great day to start. You don't even have to wait till tomorrow morning. This afternoon will work just great. Grab one of these cards and go through this, and the next 40 days, I'm going to tell you, I'm 100% confident the Lord will speak to you and bless you as you get into His Word and hear what He has to say about what it means to love Him and love people. So this will be available on the way out. Please take one. When it comes to daily Bible reading, you might miss a, a day or a few days or a week or even a month and feel like it's tough to jump back in, but please don't let that put you off. Start somewhere. I hope and believe this card will help, but if one chapter is too much, read one sentence. One sentence out of the Bible is better than no sentence out of the Bible. And then let that one sentence or that one verse roll around in your mind all day, and let's see how the Lord will speak to you through His Word. I use um, the YouVersion Bible app, and I would recommend that to everyone. Um, if you just go on, uh, search YouVersion on Apple or Android, it is available, it is free, and it's awesome. Um, so paper Bibles, fantastic, but having it on your phone is so convenient, so easy. But go ahead and get that. I also want to say this is um, just an opinion, so you can take this as much as you want to, but I recommend the New Living Translation of the Bible. The New Living Translation, it's a newer translation from Hebrew and Greek into, uh, into English, and it's deliberately written to be highly readable and is still faithful to the original languages. Now, getting into the Bible, it might spark some questions. There may be a lot of things that are difficult to understand, and I would say find someone you trust to ask those questions to. It's important for us to remember that believers that have gone before us have fought and died so that we can have Bibles. For centuries, believers have treasured getting into the Bible and learning about why we love God and how we love people. And we are going to carry on that legacy to the next generation. When we talk about worship, if one person claps, we all have to. Remember that in worship, 
the activity or the expression of worship is the result of having something happening on the inside. Oftentimes, worship is expressed through song or singing, and the idea seems off-putting to some, but at the same time, we don't think twice by singing along to the radio. Whether on Spotify or YouTube or any number of other places, you can find worship music, including the songs that we'll sing here at the church. The mechanics, the action may be the same as just singing around your house or in your car, but if it's expressing what's happening on the inside, when your exclamation is showing love and admiration and devotion and worship towards God Almighty, it's very different than when we're just singing along to a song. I may be driving somewhere and listening to Bob Dylan, and I may be singing along to America's Greatest Poetry, but it's a different experience than when I'm listening to worship music. Perhaps I'll sing along, perhaps I'll just listen, but what's happening on the inside is wonderful and powerful. We read this verse earlier, Psalm 63.3, your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I praise you as long as I live, lifting my hands to you in prayer. Singing along to a song on the radio is easy enough. Singing along to a worship song, that's life-changing. We've talked about prayer. In our prayer life, it can feel that there's a lot of pressure on how to pray properly and the correct kind of prayer. I was reminded this week as I was getting ready for today about this verse from Exodus. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. With that in mind, let's also consider what Jesus said to the disciples, I no longer call you servants. Instead, I have called you friends. Moses would talk with God in the same way that we would speak to a friend. Jesus is telling his followers that he considers us to be his friends. I don't think it's a leap to say that our prayer life should be modeled after the way you or I would talk with another person, specifically a friend. We all have things we can thank God for. We all have things that are weighing heavily on our minds that we can bring to him. Now, other people may give advice and wisdom that's more advanced and more complex than that, and I'm not arguing what they would say. But if you've never taken the time to pray by yourself, it may seem unusual or daunting. My friend, don't worry about saying the right or wrong words or the phrases or the formula. Just talk as you would with anyone else and say what's on your mind. It's amazing how often I'll be the first up at our house and I'll say something like, Lord, I'm frustrated about this and I don't know what to do about it. Or, Lord, thank you for all you've done for me. Thank you for my family. Thank you for all the ways you've shown me you love me and care about me. Or, Lord, I'm planning on doing X, Y, Z. If it's not your will, please let me know. And every day, somehow, I have a list of, God, I'm sorry, I did this, this, and this. That's not the person I want to be. Please help me learn. Most importantly is that if you take some time and develop the habit of prayer, it will change your life. It will change your heart. Don't worry about formulas or techniques. Just talk as you would to a friend. And then we can set a fellowship Meg and I were talking about this recently and the importance of community and connection. And what we realized is that we talked about it, that there's basically the official and unofficial elements to community and connection in a church. The official or the formal things would be things like uh, joining a group or the young adults attending 20s, 30s lunch or getting on a volunteer team. These are official, structured, systematized ways of building and fostering fellowship. But then there's the unofficial things. There are the things that are difficult to quantify, the things that aren't measurable or scheduled or systematized. These are the cultural things. We want to be a church that is consistently friendly and welcoming. We want it to be easy for someone to come in through the doors and feel like they can belong. We want the church to uh, be a place where people make friends easily. This should be a place where you meet people that you trust and people you believe care about your well-being. The church should be a place where you're treated with dignity and kindness. 
We can't schedule or systematize that. The only way to achieve this is for each of us to decide, I want that to be the norm and I will live it out. We want to be a friendly church, so I'm going to be a friendly person. We want people to feel welcome, so I'm going to welcome people. We want people to make meaningful friendships, so I'm going to spend time with people. To build this kind of culture where it's not solely the official and quantifiable things that are building fellowship, but it's the unspoken, the incalculable, difficult things to define culture that we have that runs throughout the church. My friends, don't rush out of church. Hang in the lobby. Join a group. Join a team. Find someone who's just been hanging on their phone by themselves and introduce themselves to them. Get a little bit uncomfortable. Make the first move to introduce yourself to someone. If someone forgets your name, forgive them and reintroduce yourself. Share a little of your story and find common ground with people. Ask others about their week. This is all straightforward when we're intentional. Matthew 10, 40. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. This year, we're going to be talking and contemplating what it means to continue what Jesus started. For today, let's remember that he modeled all four of these essential things. He knew the Bible and gained notoriety as he taught the Scriptures in a way that amazed his listeners. He spent time in worship. An example of this is shortly before he was arrested, he went with the disciples to the Mount of Olives and worshiped and sang hymns with them. Jesus routinely broke away from the crowd and even the disciples to go and pray to the Father. As we've read today, it was Jesus who said to the disciples, I no longer call you servants, instead I've called you friends. Our mission is to lead individuals to become faithful and effective followers of Jesus. We will fulfill our mission both together as a church and individually beyond Sunday when we embrace the essentials, commit to stretch, build the community, live our mission. And today, our challenge is to embrace these four essentials of Bible, worship, prayer, and fellowship. We're not accepting a religious burden, but we're embracing good things that enrich our lives and the things that cause us to be more and more like the people God made us to be. Word of life, core values, number one, embrace the essentials. I have a couple of questions for you. We do this every week. Uh, hopefully, a chance for you to reflect and think about it this week, pray about it, perhaps talk to someone. But the first question I put to you is, how will embracing the essentials help you continue what Jesus started? How will embracing the essentials help you continue what Jesus started? Jesus started a movement with a message. He started a movement with different values and compassion. It was a movement with eternal hope. And how does time reading the Bible or time in worship, praying and building relationships with other believers, how does embracing these essentials help you continue what Jesus started? And the second question, what can you do to give the essentials attention in the next 24 hours? What can you do to give the essentials attention in the next 24 hours? Maybe taking the card with the Bible plan and just deciding, I'm going to do this. I'm going to spend the next 40 days reading a chapter out of the Bible every single day. Or maybe you're going to find some time to pray and instead of feeling a weight of saying the right things and getting the formula right, just talk to God as you would a friend. Maybe tomorrow morning you'll put on some worship music and rather than mindlessly singing along, you let your inward self determine how you're outwardly going to express what's going on. Maybe fellowship is something that you haven't valued in the past. My friend, don't rush home today. Stick around, get a coffee, meet someone, take a turn on the bounce house if you need to. What can you do 
to give the essentials attention in the next 24 hours. Would you stand with me? I'd like to pray before we go back into a time of worship. But Lord, if there's anyone here with these four things that I've outlined today and discussed today, Lord, perhaps there, there are people here that they know that they're not embracing these things, that they're not adopting these as something that they treasure and look forward to and is meaningful in their life. Lord, I pray you give them the courage to do something new. Lord, for people who haven't made reading a Bible a priority, Lord, please prompt them to do so today. Lord, people who haven't perhaps taken the chance to come to you in prayer and come to you in worship, Lord, inspire them to do so. Lord, for those of us who haven't made fellowship a priority and haven't valued the role that it plays and perhaps have thought of it as a, a tag on to church, Lord, please correct that faulty thinking. Lord, help us embrace the essentials so that we can see your kingdom move forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, everybody, let's spend some time worshiping together. Amen.